was the Word And when He chose to make the world He didn't have to leave His throne Or lift a hand To make the light shine in the dark Create the sun, the moon, the stars And every creature in the sea and on the land He said, let there be And His word was sufficient When Jesus walked upon the earth his power showed through mighty works He healed the sick and caused the blind to see again Sometimes he touched, sometimes he prayed But when a man was brought one day To ask for healing That his body would be cleansed Jesus said, Arise! And his word Inside a garden full of gloom Two women wept before a tomb Their brother Lazarus had now been dead Four days Jesus said, take the stone away Lifted his eyes, began to pray Then spoke three words That echo through that place Lazarus, come forth And his word was sufficient Three Roman crosses on a hill tortured, nailed, and killed. Jesus, the Word made flesh, was buried in the ground. Would God accept this sacrifice? Would His atoning blood suffice? He left no doubt when three days later He walked out. He's a living Word, and the Word is sufficient. Question every trial, every mountain, every mile for correction, for reproof, for instruction, and for truth. It will never pass away, and it's relevant today. It's God's word, and the word is sufficient. The word. The word is sufficient. Well, I believe that's why I said to just preach the word and be instant in season and out of season because it's still sufficient. Amen. I'm going to have uh, missionary Joel uh, Scuffham uh, come tonight, and he's going to open us up in a word of prayer. But I just I wanted to read, uh, of course, you're, you're uh, here tonight, many of you are, for the uh, Midwest Baptist Preachers Meeting, and we're sure glad you're here. 
uh, tonight, but you're also walking right into our fall revival uh, with Brother Ted Alexander, and it's just been a blessing. And uh, I just wanted to share with our church family uh, my Bible reading this morning in Jeremiah 33, and uh, verse number one, it says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the second time while it was yet shut up in the court of the prison, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the maker thereof, the Lord that formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Well, I'm telling you, we still serve the same God, amen. And so, uh, sure thankful for that. Brother Scuffum, uh, Joel and uh, Valerie Scuffum, their baby girl, Lydia, they were here with us uh, Sunday before last, and uh, they are going to the field of Cambodia. They're sent out of First Baptist Church there in Mission, Kansas. Brother Larry Scuffum, his father's a pastor there, and just a dear friend in the Lord, and, and we sure enjoyed having this family uh, here with us, and he did a great job presenting the field and preaching uh, Sunday night, so I just wanted to have him uh, not only to be up here to open us up in a word of prayer, but just to introduce, you know, it's, it just seems like there's so many guys going in the different direction today. And so I, when I find a guy that stands on the Bible and believes the, you know, the King James Bible and is still closed on the Lord's Supper and Baptist baptism and salvation by grace through faith and he's non-charismatic and non-Calvinistic and I'm just telling you that I like those guys. So I try to have him come, and Brother Joel Scuffham is one of those guys. And so, Brother Scuffham, why don't you come and open us up tonight in a word of prayer, Brother. Lord, we do come to you, and Lord, we thank you for this uh, time that we can gather together, and Lord, that we can sing to praise you. Thank you for the wonderful song we've heard already. Lord, would you please continue to help us as we sing together, uh, times ahead. Lord, would you please... Be with Brother Alexander as he preaches, Lord, that you'd give us each one exactly what we need, Lord, that you'd touch our hearts, uh, help us to look to you. We pray this in your name. Amen. 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 I'm asking you to stand with me, if you would, please. Go ahead and take your hymn book out, and let's turn to page 221. Page 221, how firm a foundation. Let's sing all verses as we begin together tonight. Page 200. 21. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said to you who for refuse to Jesus have fled in condition, in sickness and health, in poverty's will, or abounding in wealth, at home and abroad, on the land, on the sea, as your days may demand, shall your strength ever be, when through fiery trials thy
say amen tonight. Wow, what a great song. Let's turn to page 293. Page number 293. What a wonderful change since Jesus came into my heart. Amen. Let's sing it out tonight on that first verse. What a wonderful change in my life has been brought since Jesus came into my heart. I have light in my soul tonight. Good to have each one of you here. We're glad you're here with us visiting tonight.
page 293, if you lost that page, let's sing it out on that last verse. I shall go there to dwell in that city I know. Sing it out tonight. I shall go there to dwell in that city I know since Jesus came into my heart. And I'm happy, so happy as onward I go since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart. Floods of joy o'er my soul like the sea billows roll. Since Jesus came into my heart. If he lives in your heart, say amen tonight. Praise the Lord. As our men uh, come tonight, uh, why don't you go ahead and be seated uh, tonight, uh, but our men are going to take, we, we're doing this each night, we're not taking up an offering uh, tomorrow uh, because we want to just be a blessing to the guest preachers and their families that are here, and so, you know, you're our guests even tonight, and so don't feel obligated to give, this is really for our church family and to be a blessing to the man of God this week, and so our intent is to be a blessing uh, to you. Uh, be a fact, uh, if you're a preacher that's here, we're not, we're not going to do introductions and things uh, tonight. We just want you to enjoy the service and the preaching and the music and, and just, we want to just be a blessing to you. Amen. And uh, be a fact, brother, uh, guest preacher is brother Ted Alexander. Uh, he was a uh, missionary or a uh, evangelism and of course uh, now planning uh, Bayview Baptist Church there in Homestead, Florida. And then he's also the uh, uh, president of the uh, Baptist Historical uh, Society and uh, has done a video uh, on the uh, Virginia Baptist. And he'll say some more about that. But what we want to do is just every preacher that's here, we want to make sure that you get a copy of that video. And so after the service tonight, our men will uh, be handing those out. So make sure that you get that. It scares me that there are guys that are Baptists and they don't even know where they came from. And so you need to, I'm just telling you, you need to get a little Baptist history in you, amen, and uh, get you a Baptist backbone and things like that. So uh, let's go ahead uh, tonight and have a word of prayer and uh, on the offering and uh, looking forward to the preaching uh, here in just a little bit. Brother Will Kennedy, would you pray for us tonight? Amen. Amen.
don't know the name of that song, Rejoice the Lord is King. And I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful no matter what goes on, he's still on the throne. Amen. He's still the king. Let's stand together tonight. Turn to page 238. Page 238. And can it be? We'll sing all four verses tonight. I'm thankful for God's love tonight. Amen. Let's sing it out together. Page 
for me. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Somebody say amen. Praise the Lord. Great singing. You may be seated. Just before Brother Alexander comes to preach tonight, Brother Tim Quinlan's going to sing for us. On a battlefield one day the charge was given To a soldier in a land so far from home To climb the hill meant death was surely waiting Determined he decided to press on In his mind, he saw people living in freedom All because of the price that he would pay His life a sacrifice by his own choosing But oh, what a victory that day He took the hill, the perfect soldier, he took the hill, now the battle's over, the price was paid, our flag was raised, his task fulfilled, he took the hill. On a battlefield for souls the charge was given To a soldier in a land so far from home Calvary's climb meant death was surely waiting Determined he decided to press on In his mind, he saw people living in heaven All because of the price that he would pay His life a sacrifice by his own choosing But oh, what a victory that day the hill, heaven soldier, he took the hill, now the battle's over, the cross was raised, sin's debt was paid, God's love fulfilled, he took the hill. The cross was raised, sin's debt was paid.
God's love fulfilled He took the hill Well, revivals, the revival meeting that we're having, sometimes they take a theme in and of themselves. And our theme this year has been that Christ would be preeminent from Colossians 1.18, but I think our revival theme has become buckle up. Good evening, everybody. <clears throat> How's everybody doing tonight? Good. Singing like a bunch of Baptists. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, Lord has been so good to us and preacher. I appreciate you inviting me. And uh, I know that leaving my better half at home wasn't the greatest thing, but a lot of things going on in Florida. Got a little windy last week down there. Amen. But uh, I certainly praise the Lord and have been praising him today for what happened yesterday. I just really I mean, if the Lord ever orchestrated services, it was yesterday <laughs> when the special music and the things that are going on behind the scenes and then the message and everything just goes all together. And then I find out afterwards uh, how the message just hit home in so many different ways. I know that all of you experienced this. If you knew what was going on in people's lives, you'd never have the boldness that you had to say what you said. And God shows you sometimes afterwards what you've been really talking to and who you've been dealing with and who he's been dealing with. It's just kind of scary, but I'm just so thankful that uh, God gives us grace, amen, and pre to preach. And I wanted to mention something about the video. Preacher uh, doesn't know much about it, amen, but uh, he knows enough about it. This is uh, 2011. We've uh, conducted many tours through the years. Uh, this is one of the public tours, one of the first public tours we did. I think this was the second or third tour that we did, and this is from 2011. And what it is is it's a, it's a documentary slash movie. And so it takes you on the tour. You can sit in your recliner and watch a Baptist history tour. So if you ever wanted to go on one, it's the easy way to do it. Amen. And uh, so this takes you throughout Virginia to a variety of different sites. And many of them are uh, prisons, which our Baptist forefathers sat in, and uh, different uh, ancient churches and just a variety of different places. I think we go to Patrick Henry's Red Hill on here. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't remember exactly everything that's on these two DVDs. It's a two DVD set. And because uh, we've conducted so many tours in Virginia and throughout the East, but I think the Virginia Baptist Historical Society is on here, and uh, there's just a uh, John Weatherford, and I know that uh, uh, the Chesterfield Jail's on there, probably the Culpeper Jail site. And uh, what it does is it takes you and shows you how that, through the concerted effort of those 45 Baptist preachers prior to the Revolution, sitting in jail for preaching the gospel, they won for us our First Amendment to the Bill of Rights. And uh, one of the things that I've proven, and there's a book back there called. Uh, uh, American Foundations Laid by the Baptists, Why, the, why the, Every American Citizen Knows a Greater Debt of Appreciation to the Baptists. It deals with the fact that the Baptists actually taught our founding fathers what liberty actually was. They did not understand it, and it's easily provable. That is not an exaggeration at all. In fact, whenever they were passing legislation in the Virginia uh, Assembly, but you know when it was a colony and then when it was a state, the preamble to their sta uh, state constitution when they became a state, uh, they had a non-incorporation law. In all of those things, what would happen was the founding fathers would try to push toleration and thought they were appeasing and pleasing the Baptists. And the Baptists looked at toleration like a nasty creature that was ready to devour them. Amen? 
and uh, John Leland fought against that, and William Weber and Samuel Harris and so many of them. And they said toleration presupposes two classes of people and uh, those who either choose to tolerate or not tolerate and then those poor saps that are privileged to follow and swallow, pay and obey. And uh, the argument was, you know, we understand that good men are in office now, but what about the day when bad men are in office? Toleration is not going to work because they're just going to choose not to tolerate us. So they fought for full liberty of conscience. And in that context, they made Jefferson change uh, the law there in Virginia after he had he and George Mason and even Patrick Henry, the great Patrick Henry, the great orator of the revolution, did not understand liberty until the Baptists had taught it. To, it was easy for them to do that because they had fought for that, wrote about it, died for it uh, to the tune of about 50 million all the way through the dark ages, all the way back to John, the first Baptist, who had his head cut off for preaching truth. Amen. And so this is a, a video. Preacher wanted to make sure that every pastor in here, if a pastor, associate pastor, whatever, make sure that you get one. The men will be out there. There are some on the table. Those are for sale uh, to the people that are here in the conference. But these, make sure you get one of these for free, all right? And it's a two-DVD set. And uh, so I hope that's a blessing to you. I wanted to mention something about that. I want you to take your Bible tonight. Please turn to Matthew 27 while you're turning there. Let me say thank you uh, for your attendance tonight, and it is a special blessing to have the pastors that are here. We have some supporting preachers that are here uh, in the auditorium, in addition to this church that supports us. And of course, if you know Brother Stewart, you don't have to know him very long to know that he kind of likes Florida, amen? He just put one of those uh, ungodly gator things on the front of his car. I'm just kidding, amen? But uh, I have to be careful, amen? I haven't got my love offering yet, right? But... uh, uh, in all seriousness, I'd have put Penn State on there and then maybe Gators under it. But anyway, uh, I'm starting to like some of them Florida teams. My son plays football down there. We're not, not far from Florida National and about uh, 30 minutes from our house. Amen. But uh, I, I just uh, appreciate the. We ate more food this week already than ought to be legal. Amen. Went for barbecue today. And man, I, I, I'm telling my son the list of places we went. What's it? Raisin Cane's, Zaxby's. And he's just like, Dad, stop. All right. All right. I get it. I get it. Amen. But uh, it's been a joy. The fellowship's always sweet. And uh, certainly God met with us yesterday. I'm praying that God will meet with us again tonight. Thank you, pastors, for being able to be here just a little bit early. And I pray that you'll pray for me as I try to preach to you tonight. I want to exalt Jesus Christ. I want Him to be magnified tonight. Uh, the message tonight is uh, principally goes a lot of directions. It is uh, a message that will charge you to love the church more, to treat the church right, to be committed to the local New Testament church. And uh, then it also deals with discipleship. It also deals with sacrifice. And so there's a lot of principles we're going to try to bring out and bring them all together in the life of just one man. And uh, his name is Joseph of Arimathea. Now, as we introduce Joseph of Arimathea, uh, a lot of times people will think, well, what, what in the world could you possibly preach about him? Because uh, admittedly, the Bible doesn't have a, a whole lot of information about Joseph of Arimathea. It's not like the Apostle Paul or even a lot of other characters in the New Testament. There's just not a lot that is written about him. But what is written about Joseph of Arimathea uh, is rich. And uh, there's, there's, there's so much in the words that are given in the text uh, that you can really get a full picture of this guy, his early life, uh, his life before his conversion, his conversion, then his commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and, and the church. And uh, so as we go through this tonight, uh, what I'd like to do is I'd like to gather information from the testimonies of all four evangelists. And uh, what we're going to do is we'll start in Matthew, and uh, then we'll move to the next uh, one and the next one, and we'll go through the four Gospels. And uh, what we'll do is, and just remind you that uh, never any contradiction, uh, but these are complementary 
passages. And uh, what they do is, uh, you'll see as we walk through this, and we'll try to point some of this out, there's more information given as you go through chronologically the Gospels. Uh, there's more information you can gather about this man. So the picture of his life uh, becomes a lot more full as you go through this. So I'm going to ask you to uh, stay in Matthew with me. We'll read this. We'll jump to Mark, Luke, and John, and then we'll pray together. Uh, but let's start in Matthew chapter 27. And I want you to look with me to verse number 57. Just a warning here, I will be stopping and starting, so keep your Bible handy. And I'll try to point you back to whatever verse I'm talking about. We may have to make some, <clears throat> some stops here. But Matthew 27, verse number 57. The Bible said, When the even was come, or when the even was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph who also himself was Jesus' disciple. I don't intend to take a pit stop every verse, but I do need to make mention of the fact that I've heard preachers falsely say that he probably wasn't really a good follower of Jesus because he followed him secretly. And let me just remind you again what I already mentioned yesterday is you and I don't even know how to spell persecution, let alone have we ever endured any of it. Uh, this man, uh, you know, and there were times when uh, the Baptists would flee. There are times that they would fight for their faith. There are times that they would literally be wholesale slaughtered. We don't understand those things, and so we cannot possibly insert ourselves into this conversation with any intelligence whatsoever. But the Bible declares that he was Jesus' disciple, and so it's good enough for us just to know that, amen, and to believe that and just leave it there. The Bible says in verse 58, he went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. Now, I do want to mark this, uh, and I'm going to make a mention, and I hope you'll try to make it just kind of an earmark in your brain about some of these things. When, when it says that he begged the body of Jesus, this speaks of the outward posture. When I think of a beggar, I think of somebody who's down low, somebody who's on the ground, somebody sitting by the wayside, somebody getting on their knees before God and begging for something. And so his posture uh, is possibly illustrated here. We'll bring that out a little bit richer a little bit later. But he begged for the body of Jesus. And then verse number 59, And when Joseph had taken the body, <clears throat> he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth. Remember, it was clean. And laid it in his own new tomb, and uh, I've heard controversy. I don't know why people can't just take the Bible for face value. He owned it. He wasn't just a tomb maker. This happened to be one that he was making. He possessed it. And that makes a difference because he gave it away as well. But notice it was his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. He hewn it out. Remember that. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. And there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. Now the next day that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said, While he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say to the people, He is risen from the dead. So the last error <coughs> shall be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a watch, go your way, make it as sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. All right, let's go to Mark chapter number 15, please. Mark chapter number 15. And let's start here in verse number 43 of Mark chapter 15. And you'll note some things that are pointed out again that have not been previously talked about in reference to Joseph. Mark 15, verse number 43. The Bible said, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly into Pilate 
and craved the body of Jesus. Now, we've seen the begging. That speaks of the outward posture. And now we see also that it was, well, it's not just an outward activity. Sometimes we can do things in the flesh for the Lord. We can do that which God has told us to do because we have to do it. But the Bible said he craved it. And this speaks of his inward heart. In other words, God had given him a job to do that he gave to no other man. And when he heard those orders, he was not about to just do it outwardly, but it was something that was in his heart burning that he had to fulfill for God, and that was to take care of the body of his dear son. And so this matters that it says that he craved the body of Jesus. Always put your heart in your work. Amen? You say, well, my heart's not been in my work for a while. I think I'll just quit work. Don't quit work. Just get your heart back in your work. Amen? And then the Bible said this. He went in boldly and craved, verse number 44, and Pilate marveled if he were already dead. Now that interests me in the sense that not only did he have a job to do from God, not only was it not just going to be outward, but it was an inward burden upon his heart. He was following the Holy Spirit of God. But he went immediately so fast that Pilate said, wait a minute, you mean the guy that was not even dead yet on the cross? That's how, fa- uh, so we teach our children, right? Obedience is not obedience unless it's immediate. At least that's what I teach. I'm sure you gentlemen have mentioned that or at least read it at some point. But this man was going to be so obe- obedient that he went immediately from the heart to do what God had told him to do. So notice further. The Bible said, and calling unto him the centurion, he asked him whether he'd been any while dead. And when he knew of it, the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph and he bought fine linen. So remember, it's clean. Now the Bible says it's fine. So this is new clean linen and wrapped him in the linen and laid him in the sepulcher, which was hewn out of a rock and rolled a stone into the door of the sepulcher. The book of Luke, please. Luke chapter number 23. And in Luke number, chapter number 23, we'll start in verse number 50. Luke 23, verse number 50. The Bible said, And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor. He was a good man and a just. The same had not consented to the counsel and deed of them. Now, this is the counsel given by the council. Amen? So this is a Sanhedrin council giving their counsel. Amen? Don't you love the English language? Drives me crazy. Amen? But the Bible said that they'd come to a conclusion. We know what that conclusion was, that they should kill this blasphemer, right? And they could have done it themselves, other than being under Roman jurisdiction. They had, of course, to uh, submit to that authority. But the Bible tells us he was a dissenting vote. Didn't want Jesus to be put to death. And we're going to find out there's a reason for that. But we understand he now had not consented. He was a very Matthew, city of the Jews, who also himself, again, waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate, and again, he begged the body of Jesus... And he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher, which was hewn in stone, wherein never man, uh, wherein never man before was laid. And that day was the preparation of the Sabbath. We'll stop there for sake of time. I'll turn over real quickly to the book of John, chapter 19. John, chapter number 19. This will be our last initial text. And then I'll try to draw a lot of truths out of these various texts. As we get through the message and not have time to turn back every time we mention something that is in these texts, I hope you'll remember what you read. John chapter 19, and we'll start in verse number 38, and we'll go down through the end of the chapter. The Bible said, Now to this Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate, 
that he might take away the body of Jesus. Now, obviously Joseph is following Christ for some time. I believe he was a saved man. I believe he was a believer. But he had to do that secretly because of his position and because of the, the climate at that time was you remember at the Passover festival when they howled and they said, uh, crucify him. And then they literally said, destroy Jesus. And so this was the climate. You didn't want to be an outward follower of Jesus or you were going to pay a serious price, especially if you're supposed to be a religious leader, which he was. Notice, if you would, verse 38 again. Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. There came also, watch this, Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. I take that to mean not only was it early in Jesus' earthly ministry, but that this man was the first to go to Jesus and put it to him and say, look, are you the Messiah? What's going on here? You're doing all these miracles. You seem like you're the one that's sent from God. Amen. So he was, this is very early in Jesus' ministry uh, that this man Nicodemus came. We know the story in John chapter 3. The Bible said <clears throat> he first came to Jesus by night, brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in the linen clothes with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus, uh, therefore because of the Jews, preparation day for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. Let's pray together tonight and ask you again, pray for me as I try to preach to you tonight. Our Father, we're thankful for the privilege of being able to have an old King James Bible. We thank you for all the precious things of God you've given to us tonight. Lord, where would we be without the Holy Ghost, without the local New Testament church? And Father, without our families and loved ones and preachers and friends, God, you've just given us so many blessings, Father. And God, we thank you for this building tonight, this air-conditioned, nice, comfortable place we can come and worship you tonight. God, the stage is set, and we just ask you now, Father, that you might breathe upon this message. Lord, I pray that it would be, first of all, biblical. I pray, God, that it would be, uh, Lord, powerful. I pray that I'd just be a vessel that I'd be forgotten about and that your message would be communicated from heaven to everyone that's here. May it not be a sermon. May it be a message from heaven. And God, as we hear and receive the word, I pray we not just hear it in our ears, but may it go deep down in our hearts. Lord, please bind every devil, every distraction away from this place tonight. And for the next hour, God, I pray that you'd give extreme unction and power, Lord, that you might be glorified through it all. I pray the lost to be saved. I pray, God, the backsliders to be reclaimed, the fallen to be lifted up tonight. God, you just touch us and bring yourself glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> you know, it's great to be gathered together with a bunch of believers tonight. Amen professed believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have a lot in common tonight, amen? We would all agree that the centerpiece of our faith uh, is in Christ and His accomplished work, His finished work on the cross of Calvary. That's truly what we're gathered around tonight, those principles and those truths, how that Christ came and died for sinners, and we're sinners in need of a Savior. We believe that the cross is the pinnacle of all human history. 
My friend, and the believer should live very near to the cross constantly, considering him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest we become weary and faint in our own minds. But we live near the cross, amen? That is the theme of our messages. That is the theme of our churches. It is pointing people to the cross of Calvary. But tonight I'd like to do something a little different. I want to go just beyond the beating of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to pick up the story tonight. Just after Jesus gave up the ghost on the cross of Calvary, last night I believe it was, we dealt some with the beating of Christ and we dealt some yesterday with the crown of thorns and just everything that took place there. But I want to go beyond that and pick up the story after Jesus Christ gave up the ghost on the cross of Calvary. Think with me for a moment. After the Savior had died on Calvary and the earth stopped reeling, many were very happy. There are a variety of different groups we understand that were there and that were well aware of everything that was going on. This was not something done in a corner. Uh, My friend, that part of the world, everyone that lived anywhere near there knew what was going on on this particular day. But I want you to understand that when Christ died on the cross, there was a group that was very happy about this. This was all led by Satan himself. Amen. I I believe he was passing out party favors and blowing those little crazy kazoos. And man, there's probably eating cake and ice cream and tap dancing and just having a wonderful time and saying, man, we finally did it. We finally got rid of the Son of God. It is all over for him. There was a crowd that was very happy. The Pharisees were happy. The Sadducees were happy. And and there was a crowd. They had lost their crowds. They had lost their accolades. They had lost their chief seats. They were losing their money. And, And now they were very happy as well. No doubt there was a big crowd of people that was as happy as could be when Jesus died on the cross. We also understand there were those that were sad. There were those that thought that, man, he's going to overthrow Rome just any day now. We'll be liberated and we'll go right back to our kingdom. And there were those that, you know, had trusted Christ and, and now their Savior is going to the cross and hanging on a cross and now he has died on the cross. And we talked about last night how that all, or yesterday morning, the disciples forsook him and they fled. There was a crowd that no doubt was very sad. And yet there was even another crowd that even at the cross had their hearts changed. The, the Bible only testifies to maybe one or two that I know of. I think about the centurion. The centurion that may have been there in Pilate's Hall may have had his boots spattered with the, the very blood of Jesus Christ. May have been the one that laid the stripes upon Jesus. But there he is. And the Bible said that sitting there, they watched him there. And, and he cried out and said, Surely this was the Son of God after he saw everything transpire on Calvary. So we have yet another group of people. And although all of these different groups, they disagreed on many things and they were coming from different perspectives and their feelings and emotions were in different places after the death of Jesus, they all agreed on one major thing. When the dust had settled, Jesus Christ our Lord was 100% physically dead on the cross. Let me say that again. He was physically 100% as dead as any corpse in any graveyard you've ever visited. He may as well have been six foot under for a thousand years. That's how dead that Jesus was. I had to discipline a man out of our church who came to the viewpoint that he wasn't sure that Jesus had physically died. To which my response was, you are as lost as a ball in tall weeds. Because if Jesus didn't physically die, then he didn't rise from the dead. And if Christ doesn't rise from the dead, we're of all men most miserable. Because we only have hope in this life. And our resurrection is no longer secure if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. But no, he was dead. He was physically dead. 
Well, we all know what happens when somebody dies. Normally, they're given a Christian burial, or at least some type of a dignified burial. There's usually some plan of some type on how to handle the body after somebody passes away. Even the basest of men today have their bodies treated with a level of respect. There is a sense of dignity with which we treat corpses. In our land, we actually have laws, and those laws are against mishandling a corpse and taking corpses across state lines and transporting a dead body. And if these things are violated, they're punishable by law. All of that being said, my friend, there was absolutely no organized plan for the burial of the very Son of God. I briefly alluded to this yesterday, but it is shocking to think that the greatest man, consider how great this man was, Hebrews says, this man, Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, if anyone ever deserved a dignified, glorious, wonderful burial and a plan on how to handle his body, you'd think it would have been the Son of God, the Son of Man. And yet, my friend, it would have been unthinkable to plan his burial as we go back to what was going on in society at that time. And in addition, I've read varying different viewpoints from varying different historians and such, and Edersham specifically, but sometimes bodies were left hanging of the grossest of criminals after death. And that would become a warning to others. Hey, don't you dare dissent against us, or this is what will happen. They would let them hang, and the birds of prey would come and pick their bodies to pieces. And they were saying, hey, just like Rome used to do when they impaled the heads of the Waldenses on big lodgepole spikes for the space of 40 miles and lit them on fire up at the top of the mountain so that all the peasants in the valley would look up and see the mountain on fire and know there was another slaughter and they were saying don't you dare ever come up against Rome now keep in mind today the death of the cross was demeaning and humiliating on purpose for many many reasons and in many ways may I remind you briefly of the shame and humiliation of a Roman cross. The historians concur that when one on the cross had to urinate or to defecate, yes, they did it in open public view. Everyone was able to watch that and to see that. This would often attract insects to the body and, and great humiliation as well. The blood of the crucified man's body would sometimes begin to harden and dry out on the body. And even birds of prey would come before they were dead sometimes, thinking they were dead or just taking advantage and beginning to pick the flesh off their bodies before they gasped for their very last breath. Struggling to pull in another breath was the only concern of the average crucified man because he knew when he didn't launch himself up one more time, he was dead forever and his soul would leave his body. Once the victim died an anxious and painful death, the corpse would immediately begin to go because Jesus was 100% in the flesh. Amen? And it wasn't some phantom walking around. He was 100% God and 100% man. And he took upon him a robe of flesh just like we did. So his body would have gone through the rigor mortis process where the chemical changes in the muscles cause the limbs of the corpse to become stiff. And in humans it commences after three or four hours and comes to fruition after about 12 hours or just as stiff as a board. For anyone present, to attempt to hold an honorable funeral would have meant to stir up the already angry crowds of Jews. To identify with this dead troublemaker, this blasphemer and wine-bibber, as they called him, would have cost anyone very dearly. Now listen to me very carefully, and don't miss this. There's a picture here. Listen carefully. It does cause some, it cost you something, 
it will always cost you greatly to identify with the body of Christ. Nobody wanted to touch the body. Nobody had a plan for it. But this one man, Joseph, steps up. And see, nobody wanted to do anything with it. And there was no plan. Because they knew they were going to have to pay a very high price to identify with the body of Christ. That's why your community is not flocking in here. They know there's a commitment involved with it. Even the community, even though Stephen Anderson don't believe in repentance, your community knows there's going to be a changed life if you commit to the... It's kind of quiet right there, amen? I think we've got some believe-only people maybe in here. You'll get over it, amen? Look, if you don't repent, you're going to split hell wide open. There has to be a change in here, brother. I don't care how many cards you fill out. You can get baptized in the creek till every catfish knows you by your first name. But until you get born again through repentance and faith, you'll never make it to heaven. So your community's not flocking in here because, hey, it costs something to, to identify with the body of Christ. Now, listen to me carefully as I transition. The Bible equates the local New Testament church with the body of Christ. There are three metaphors God uses, you know well, of the local New Testament church. There's the body, there's the building, and there is the bride. I don't have time to develop all of that tonight, but, and, and one of them, my friend, is very tangible in the bride, but uh, the metaphor of the body is very important. The Bible equates the local New Testament church to the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as I begin to look at how these men handled Jesus' body, that metaphor popped into my brain and God began to deal with me. And I began to look at that and say, wow. You mean, Lord, there's a, there's a picture you're trying to teach me about here? And he began to immediately rebuke me and ask me, how have you handled the body of Christ? Now, I want you preachers look up here for a minute. How have you handled the body of Jesus Christ? We talk about the Sunday school teacher who hadn't looked at their curriculum all week and gets up and hides behind a book on a Sunday morning. I can name you hundreds of preachers do the same exact thing. We tell our people to pray. Are we praying? We tell our people to be soul winners. How many hours a week are we spending out on the streets doing what we're supposed to do? We tell them about clean living. Are we living clean? We tell them to be at church early. Are we at church early? Are we giving? Are we sacrificing? How are you and I handling the body of Jesus Christ? And then he took me back in my mind to 25 years of itinerant evangelism. And I wish I could forget the first about 10. Because I was against things God never thought about being against. And I had done everything from belittle people. And I'm going to tell you what, it saddens me and breaks my heart. I have ran people off that probably didn't need to be run off. Now it's hard nose. There's a time, and I'll tell you, I wept bitter tears over some of the spirit, some of the attitude, because when I got into preaching, man, I cut my teeth on all of the mule skinners, and I just wanted to be as mean and against everything I possibly could. I thought that was godliness. And I've caused some harm to the Lord's churches, but I never want to do it again. As I realize that Christ gave himself for the church... And that you folks out there are my brothers and sisters in Christ. And you're God's children. God's given me a completely different perspective. Who am I to beat you down as a child of the king? And, and we think about trying to push him over. But the, here's God standing behind holding him up. And the Lord is able to make him stand. You understand the biblical truths about that. But God had to take me through the ringer about this truth. 
Now, how do you know it equates it? Well, I don't have a lot of time, but Ephesians 1, verse 22 and 23, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 27, now ye are, that's a local church, uh, which was at Corinth, amen, the body of Christ and members in particular. Now listen, nobody was willing to identify with the body of Christ because of the high price they would have to pay. Nobody, that is, except for one man. His name is Joseph of Arimathea, and he is the subject of our focus tonight. I call him a true disciple because he was willing to pay an awesome price and sacrifice for the body of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Maybe you haven't thought through all the sacrifice Joseph made to not only identify with the body of Christ, but to carefully, tenderly take care of it in the sight of the Heavenly Father who had commissioned him to do just that. And if you're a pastor, and honestly, I had no intention on specifically addressing pastors tonight, but the message God knew, obviously, who was going to be here. I thought maybe one or two men would come in. There's several here tonight. But I want you to understand that uh, as we look at this tonight, God is asking us the question, are you willing to sacrifice? How are you going to take care of the body of Christ? He was willing to take a great risk and show Jesus just how much he loved him. <clears throat> I want you to consider some things, and we'll get to the point tonight. I want us to consider a few things we examine this man, Joseph. Let's consider his life. Think, think first with me of this fact. Number one, by the world's standard, Joseph had everything that a man supposedly needs <clears throat> prior to the death of Christ. Can you imagine how corrupt Judaism is at this point? And these guys are climbing ladders and they're becoming rich just like the religious crowd today. Amen. I thought it was really, really rich that Creflo Dollar came out after milking the people for 30 solid years and becoming men fat and high on the hog. Now all of a sudden he's sorry that he stole their money all these years. And I'm wondering if he's going to go, you know, sell his jet and give all the money back. Amen. Maybe move into a little apartment somewhere, but understand. And by the way, now he comes out against New Testament tithing. So he's wrong on one point. Now he's wrong on the other. And he just messed everything up. But Joseph, my friend, understand this. He was climbing ladders. He was at the pinnacle of his religion. He had the money that he needed, the security that he needed. Everybody looked up to him. Before, my friend, the death of Jesus Christ, people would look at him and say, Joseph, you've got everything that a man could want. To understand the man he became and to understand what Joseph did with the body of Jesus, it is important that we remember his life and what it was like before he got saved. Didn't the Bible tell us he was rich. And is it not the world that's telling everyone today, hey, if you got riches, you're doing great. That's all you need in life. Just go ahead and get you some gusto. Step on everyone's head to climb up those ladders. Destroy other people's lives. It makes no difference as long as you get the money. I knew a car dealer, and uh, he had a, a Christian friend of mine was working for them. He'd bring him in on Monday morning, cuss them up one side and down the other, look at them almost with de devils coming out of his eyes, and say, boys, get me the money. That that's where the world is at today. They would have looked at Joseph and said, this guy's got money. Man, don't go ahead and identify with that guy, that blasphemer. You've got money. You're going to lose all your money if you do that. And then I'm going to remind you of this. Not only was he rich, he was very religious. 
Is it not that the world tells us today, hey, as long as you got your religion, you believe one thing, I believe another. The main thing is that we all got our religion. Amen? It was like Joseph's like a lot of people today. And if you're one of them here today and you're going through life with your little knapsack and you got your money, now you got your religion. And man, you're just good and you're better than a lot of these dirt balls in the world. I'm here to tell you, you are still not good enough, my friend. Your righteousness, my friend, is as filthy rags in the sight of God. This man was lost although he had what the world thought he should have had. Let me hurry on and say this. He had a right standing in the community. Isn't that what a lot of people say? Hey, I am on the Kiwanis. I'm on the city council. I do this and I work at the bank and I'm the bank president. And they say, hey, if you reach that pinnacle, surely you've got everything that life has to offer. You've got your religion. You've got your position. You've got your money. I don't care what you've got. If you don't have Jesus Christ, you'll split the gates of hell wide open, dear friend. But that's what he was doing. He was gathering up that which the world thought he needed. And then man, I say that he was a good man and a just. And here's where it gets a little tricky. Because the country boys, now preached all over the deep south, they think they're going to heaven because they was born in a Baptist home. Yeah. Mama was a church of God deacon. Surely I'm going to heaven. Yeah. I'm telling you. And uh, they just, they're born in it. It's like the culture of Catholicism up in the northeastern part of the United States of America. It's like Mormonism is out in Utah. And I'm just simply saying, this guy was a good old boy. Well, good old boys all go to heaven. He'd have given his shirt off his back, mowed your side of the lawn. He'd have caught your dog that was out running around when you weren't home. This guy, in the eyes of the world, he thought, they thought, hey, this guy's got everything you need in life. Seemingly. Then one day he heard about a man named Jesus. And it changed his life. After he met Jesus amazingly, he became willing to risk everything the world told him to gather up just to follow this man Jesus even to the peril of his life. He, of course, as I mentioned, uh, he, he supposedly had everything he needed prior to the death of Jesus. Let me hurry on. And I want to try to give you something here, and I don't want to theorize too much, and, and I'll tell you right now that this is my theory, but on the preponderance of the evidence, I want to try, and, and you can reject it if you'd like. Everybody's on pins and needles right now, amen. But I want you to take your Bible and go to John 19 with me. If you're there, just hold your finger there. I want to try to bring you something, and, and I want to try to just try to animate this and bring it to life, and I hope that I'm not stretching the text too far, but it had to have been something like what I'm about to tell you. Secondly, he had been touched by the gospel prior to the death of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 19, you will notice in verse number 38, the Bible said there, and after this Joseph of Arimathea being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews... So he was already being a follower, a disciple, a convert to Jesus Christ. Amen. So he'd been touched by the gospel prior to the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. So he was following Jesus for sometimes secretly before the crucifixion. All right. Here's my theory. He may have been, and I lean heavily towards the fact that he was most likely a convert of Nicodemus. Now, why do I say that? Well, Nicodemus got the goods first. Amen. He got burned again before Joseph did. Amen? They're both on the council together. You remember Nicodemus was a rich young ruler. He's a Pharisee. He's on the council with this man named Joseph. I kind of picture it this way. They're starting to talk about now 
putting Jesus to death and some time has elapsed and his ministry has now been carried out for a couple of years and they're getting together figuring out how to do this and Nicodemus is in there and maybe Joseph saw something in him or maybe it was Nicodemus leaned over one night and said, hey, after the meeting tonight, meet me down by the sycamore trees. I want to talk to you about something. I'm not exactly sure how it happened. Somehow the gospel got uh, to this man. By the way, his friends wouldn't have been the lower echelon. This was a man that was a friend to him. We see that he's a friend to him. After the crucifixion of Jesus, they're working together. I have this sneaking suspicion when we get to heaven, we're going to find out Nicodemus brought the gospel to him. Maybe after a Sanhedrin meeting one night, they went down by the sycamore trees. And Nicodemus said, I've got to tell you something. And Joseph said, well, I noticed that you did not raise your hand when they took a vote to kill Jesus. He said, I feel the same way about that. He said, well, let me tell you something now that you've asked. Shh, keep your voice down, amen. They're hiding under the trees. And he says, you know, I went and talked to him. And from the very beginning, I knew there was something different about him. I, uh, something in my heart was talking to me. In the midst of the night, I was hearing a voice say, that is my beloved son, hear ye him, amen. And I went by night and I began to ask him some questions. And, and I'm gonna tell you, Joseph, when I heard those words, he spoke like man never spoke before. And I saw the authority with which he spoke and the compassion and the quiet amen as they're talking maybe it was that he looked over and there's tears streaming down Joseph's face and he fell on his knees right there and accepted the Messiah I'm not sure when or where but I'm here to tell you Joseph got born again praise God can you imagine those two sneaking around oh it's going to be awesome when we have the mind of Christ and we get to look back you'll be able to say boy that preacher was way off amen but it's all right I think things through like this and maybe I get messed up. Amen? But he demonstrated great courage before the death of Christ because he had been changed by the gospel. But let me say this thirdly. He demonstrated great faith after Jesus' death on the cross. First of all, he denied his flesh. Yeah, that's one of our biggest obstacles today, is it not? So what do you mean he denied his flesh? I want you to think with me about a man who is a Jew... Walking in with a broken heart into the court of the dogs. And he's not just walking in, and he's not just a Jew. He's crawling in on his hands and knees, and he is at the pinnacle of the Jewish religion. And they looked at these Romans as absolute dogs as the Romans looked at them, uh, like they were dogs. But he was willing to go, and I've got news for you. Pilate wasn't in there, you know, just smoking a blunt, and everybody else just hanging out somewhere else in the house. He was flanked by guards, angry Roman soldiers, men that were vicious and lost and drunkards. And I'm thinking about this man crawling in and he's begging. Can you imagine a Jew begging before the Romans just to be able to take the body down? I'm picturing in my mind and I'm wondering, are these Roman soldiers laughing at him? Are they mocking? Look at this stupid Jew. Are they kicking at him? Are they spitting on him? But he doesn't care what anybody thinks. He doesn't care what anybody says. His religion is gone now. He's got Christ in his heart and he's willing to go if the whole world thinks he's a fool he's willing to beg for the body of Jesus Christ he completely denied his flesh to do that which God had told him to do I'm here to tell you today, folks, we are under a bombardment of wicked sexual activity and pictures and videos and sodomy and people don't even know what a boy and a girl and a man and a woman is anymore and we have got to deny our flesh. You are in a spiritual battle and the only way to deny that flesh is to fight the spiritual battle, fight the good fight of faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
He denied his flesh. He was a great disciple. I hope you'll see in his life tonight an image of what a disciple really looks like. He ran to do God's will. He didn't care what people thought about him. And he did it immediately with all of his heart, craving to do the will of God. And then may I go on and say this. He had great faith after Jesus' death. He sacrificed his position on the Sanhedrin. Just imagine that. Imagine you're the CEO of a company. You're making a million dollars a year. And all of a sudden you find out it's corrupt. And on principle, you quit the job. Now, Mama, she's got a loan out on her Lamborghini, amen? You got a $3 million house, and you're going to go home and tell Mama what you've done. I'm just saying, can you imagine how his family responded and reacted to this? Here's a man that spent his whole life climbing the ladders of religion and gathering up his money and garnering as much authority and accolades as he could, and now he's willing to throw it all away and become the bottom of the totem pole again to follow Jesus. Can I tell you one of my pet peeves? Don't come tell me what great job you had before God called you to preach. I'm not impressed. Amen? I'm so sick and tired of hearing preachers. I'm just telling you, I gave up. I had a lucrative business, and it's almost like, man, you know, it was a a kind of a, yeah, I wasn't sure if I was going to follow God or keep that. What are you talking about? Do you understand how privileged that you and I are just to be able to possess a King James Bible, just to be born in the good old U.S. of A, to be saved at all? And look, on our worst day, not one hair in our head's ever going to go to hell. My friend, look, we didn't get God. Look, God didn't get a deal. We got the deal. We got the deal. Man, I'll tell you, I was, I was an engineer, buddy, and I just, I was hard, but I put all that aside to serve Jesus. Boy, you poor feller, you. You have to speak for the Son of God. You have to let God's love flow through you. You have to see people saved, and and you have to see people join churches and follow God. You have to see marriages put back together, and shipwrecked lives get picked up out of the the graveyard of sin. And I'm going to tell you, that's just ridiculous. Amen. Say, you get a little riled up, you'll get over it. Amen. I'm going to Florida in a few days. Everybody be over it. Amen. He sacrificed his position on the Sanhedrin council. And I don't think he stood around wondering about it very long. Amen? He abandoned his reputation among family and friends again. I won't rehash this. Uh, He surrendered his own new tomb. Think about it. He hand-hewn this thing out. You ever walk up to a massive rock, take a ball-peen hammer, take a little old sledge, and start trying to hew out a rock? I'm going to tell you what, some of us are so sorry, we get calluses just working our computer, amen? <laughs> and I'm thinking, this guy's out there smacking a rock, and every bit of sweat that's dropping off of him in that hot desert land, he's thinking, it's okay, it's for my family. It's for my family. I'm doing something for the future. It takes a lot of work as an investment, but this is for the family down the road. Well, I got a newsflash for you folks. Here was something that he had for himself. But he decided, I'm just going to give this to Jesus. I don't see where he went to the garden and great sweat drops of blood, anguishing over this. He said, hey, this is the Son of God. I don't care how much time I spent on it. And I'm here to tell you something. There'll be some things in life that God gave you. You think they're for you. And God asked you to give them up. Just give them up. Do what God tells you to do. I spent my life as an itinerant evangelist taking stuff from one church and delivering it to another. 
Preacher would say, hey, do you want this? And I'd say, well, I don't know if I can use that. And they'd give it to me. And I'd get 600 miles away, think, what in the world am I ever going to do with this projector or whatever it might have been, and pull in, first thing out of the preacher's mouth, pray for us, brother, we really need to get a new projector. Really? Yep, go back there in the third barn door of my bus and open that up. Amen? There's a lot of times God will give you something and it ain't for you. God will give you a stockpile of cash and then you'll get to a meeting and you'll see a need and you better be careful not to deny that need. You do what God tells you to do. Here's a man that had invested so much but he surrendered it to God after uh, Jesus Christ had died on the cross. Listen, Joseph of Arimathea demonstrated strong faith in the Son of God. Didn't seem to care who knew about it. I want to get to my last thought. It's a long thought, but it's my last one. Amen? He simply wanted to make an offering to show his love for Christ, no matter what the cost. I want you to notice the type of offering that he gave. First of all, his offering was a clean offering. You remember how the Bible said that it was a new, clean linen? Amen? And that it was fine linen? I don't see any junk for Jesus here. I don't see a second best attitude. You know, I'll serve God, but I'm not going to really, you know, get too serious. You ought not even be in the ministry if you can't throw your entire heart into it. I'm not talking about running so hard you burn out, but I'm talking about folks, it takes commitment, a lifelong commitment to really serve Jesus Christ. There's going to be some sleepless nights. There's going to be some times you've got to drive some places and visit some people and go to some jails and go to the hospital or get up on a Sunday morning sick and the last thing you want to do is serve God. But listen to me, folks. His offering was clean. We must offer our, uh, offer our offerings with clean hands to the Lord. Matthew 5, verse 23 and 24. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there remember, that thy brother hath ought against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. God doesn't want our service with evil hearts. He wants our service with pure hearts. Many things I could say here. Let me cut to the chase tonight. They gave, of course, an offering, and I don't want to get it. Let me, let me just come down off here because if I get up there, I'm going to get bogged down in the notes. Amen. I want you to consider these two men doing what God had called them to do. So Joseph goes in and he begs for the body of Jesus. And he gets allowance to get the body of Jesus. And up until some time ago, I never really meditated on this and thought on it. But they go up to Calvary, and there he is hanging on the cross of Calvary. And I want you to see how these two men, and I want you to think with me, how do you think they handled the body of Christ? And in this, I want you to remember, preacher, that God is watching how we handle the body of Christ. Are you really preparing messages and putting the time in? Do you really love those people? Are you really praying for them when you stand up in your pulpit and say, I have prayed for you every day this week? Are you really committed to the local New Testament church? Do you really want to see it built? Are you there committed and doing everything God wants you? And listen, church member, you're not exempt. If you think this is spectator sport, honey, I've got a newsflash for you. God did never say to anybody to sit on a bench somewhere. 
He saved you to get baptized into a local New Testament church to find your giftings and talents and the Holy Ghost to use you in and through that local church to reach others so you can disciple them so they can reach others so this church can send out preachers and start New Testament churches and that don't just take the preacher and his wife and his family. Every one of you ought to have a great commitment to the body of Christ. He died for the church. Don't you go causing trouble in the church, smacking Jesus' bride around. What are you, nuts? He'll take you out faster than any. You mean lives are in a disaster right now because they mess with the church? I'm not talking about insulting my preacher friend. I'm not talking about hurt my feelings. They messed with the bride of Christ and God will judge you for that. I wouldn't touch the bride of Christ. I think of some of the foolish things I've said and done and God knows they're under the blood. Thank God, amen. I want to live the rest of my days honoring God by taking care of the body of Christ because that is what he has called every one of us to do. But how do they do it? So they walk up to the cross. Here's Nicodemus. Here's Joseph. They know what they have to do, but my first thought is this. Who's sufficient for these things? Who wants to be the first one to touch the body of the Lord Jesus Christ? And I don't think they were snapping bubble gum and looking at their iPhone and figuring out their bowling average and all this other mess people do in churches. I believe they was broken. And I believe they're standing there and they very carefully and meticulously took that cross down and laid it down very carefully. And I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but then they had to go and pull the spikes out of the feet of the Son of God and to pull the spikes. You think they're just ripping and tearing, wobbling them back and forth, destroying the body of Christ? Or do you think they were Holy Spirit controlled, very carefully allowing the Holy Spirit to lead and guide every move they made? And how ought we as believers to act in the local church, not kicking things over and like a bull in a china shop, but letting the Holy Spirit control us to do everything very carefully as God would have us to do. It's not my church. I had a vision when I went to Florida, but it's not my vision. It better be God's vision. It better be what the Lord wants. It's His church, not my church. I think about they took that body and Carefully laid it on a big flat rock. And as they laid it down, now it's time to take that 100-pound weight of the aloes. And by the way, aloes come from the leaves of those plants, and they have healing qualities, which was a type or was a picture of the fact that that body wasn't going to stay in the grave. Why would you want to put some healing qualities on a corpse? Amen? Because Jesus Christ was coming back out of the grave. Amen? And it's a double prophecy because Jesus Christ comes out of the grave, then you and me get to come out of the grave. He's the first fruits. Amen? And then they had, you know, the spices and the myrrh, and that's a sweet savor in the nostrils of God when you take care of the body of Christ as you should, amen? Much I could say there's spices. God gave us life more abundantly. Don't spice the spice up our life. We had a lot of spice this week already, preacher. It's a sh- our just started the week, amen? But they took that body, and now they have to prepare it. They have this big, massive mixture. And I'm thinking to myself, are they one on one side and one on the other? And like last night, tears streaming down their face. Oh, God is watching as we take care of His Son's body. How often do we ever think that while we're preaching, while we're preparing, while we're serving in His church? God is watching everything I'm doing. Yes, sir. 
He has given us a job to do and told us to take care of the body of His Son. And now He is watching as we do it. See, stewardship is something a lot of people don't understand. It is a vitally important part of the Christian life. We are constantly in stewardship arrangements with God Almighty. And there's a recompense at the end of every stewardship. We have to stand, look up into holy eyes of fire and give an accounting as to what we did. But they start with the feet. And they're taking this and they're wiping it on. And they're filling the precious holes in the feet of the darling Lord Jesus. And I believe with tender care and with love and compassion, they handled the body of Jesus. And there was commitment there and they didn't care what anyone said or thought. The whole world disappeared in their minds as they're focused on taking care of the Father's Son's body. And they go up those legs, preachers. They're wrapping and they're putting all of that ointment and spices and myrrh and ointment on there. And, and they start to hit the stripes. Those stripes that whapped him and gaped open holes all throughout his body. And they're remembering their sin maybe. As they realize that he took upon him the sins of the whole world. And I'm wondering how the Holy Ghost is filling their hearts as they realize as they're taking care of him. They're reminded of what he did for them. And as you serve God and you're taking care of that which God has put in your jurisdiction and what He's called you to do, don't you ever forget what He did for you. And it's a reminder as they're serving God and taking care of the body, the Father's saying, look at those stripes, boys. Remember what Jesus did. Always remember what Jesus did as you're serving Him. Because we'll never outwork Him and we'll never do too much for Him. And every time we get, woe is me, and what am I going to do and join the Mully Grub Club, we remember as we look to the cross again why we're doing what we're doing and all He did for us. And then they come up to that hole in the side where forthwith came blood and water. The blood that Jesus Christ delivered to heaven and placed on the eternal mercy seat of God for eternity that will never wash away. And they're filling it with that aloes and myrrh so they can wrap it around and so it doesn't leak through. So it looks nice when they lay him in the tomb. But to think of the wound he took for you and me. To think what it took God himself to come and suffer and bleed. And God is reminding them, it was the blood that I needed. It was perfect blood. The blood from, and as they're handling his feet, these are the feet that walked on the water. And as they're looking at his side, this is a side, you know, that, that the beloved disciple would lean on his breast and hang on his side like that. And they're, they're going through all of this. And then they come up and they have to do his hands where those eternal wounds will be forever that he received in the house of his friends. And then they come up to the face and they have to pull that out and he's pulling up from out of his brow and his eyebrows and his head. And I don't think they're slapping it off. I think they carefully, piece by piece, took it off because the Father was watching. And then to touch the very face of God. The face of God. Can you imagine? <clears throat> this is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. The things we deal with are God's things. They're holy things. They're incorruptible things. They're eternal things that we're dealing with. And again, I, I can see these two men as mature as they've ever been in their life, as sober as could possibly be, with tears streaming down their faces, saying, Lord, why did you let us do this? Thank you for the privilege, Father. Oh, we'll take care of the body for you, Lord. 
We just thank You for the privilege of being able to do this, Father. Thank You for giving us the truth. All of our friends are going to hell in the Sanhedrin. Oh God, thank You for calling us. All of our relatives are going to hell. But You've allowed us to be saved and us to take care of the body of Christ. What a privilege it might have overwhelmed them with sobbing and tears. And then they took that clean white linen and they wrapped them up, mummified them as they did in the Jewish tradition. And they placed him in the tomb. Several years ago, I was studying this out and God broke my heart. And I was like, how could I have missed this? Because back in 1987 in Fort Benning, Georgia, by a little bunk bed, I was not even 18 years of age yet in basic training. At about midnight one night, I rolled out of my bunk bed and I called on Jesus Christ to forgive me and save my soul. And before I got up off my knees, God said, you're going to be a preacher. God called me to take care of the body of Christ. I wonder, what's your commitment to the church? I tell you, preacher, I've seen churches split over a fight over a stinking stick of bubble gum. That's what people think of the church today. They're they're here just to see if you can keep on pleasing them and feed their flesh and preaching what they want to hear and keeping them happy. And if you'll not do it, there's very little commitment to the church today. And I'm talking about by Baptist people. Maybe tonight in this revival, maybe church, and I'm talking about the members of this local New Testament church, maybe what this church needs is a recommitment by you that you're not looking to get out, that your car is parked faced in, praise God. And there ain't nothing going to move you out of the will of God because you have a duty to take care. Ladies, if it's cooking muffins, praise God, you cooked the greatest muffins you ever cooked in your life. I'm being honest to God, man. If you got to clean a toilet, buddy, they ought to walk in and have to put sunglasses on to look at the pot, man. I'm telling you. I don't care what you do in the church. It ought to be 100% for the glory of God. There's too much of this halfway junk that's going on. Look, this is the body of Christ. It's not yours. It's not mine. And one day we have to give an account. Joseph of Arimathea was a great disciple. Because like Paul, he counted everything done long before there was a Paul in the ministry. He turned his back on all of it. Said, Lord, you've called me to take care of the body of Christ and I'll do everything you've told me to do the best I possibly can. That ought to be our recommitment tonight to the local New Testament Baptist Church. Let's all stand. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed.